I was looking at the list of people that are coming for Linux Fest Northwest. It is going to be a huge party. Brent, you're going to be here. I'm super excited, Brent. You ought to like just stay here for a couple extra days, hang out at the studio. Um, yeah. What so, do you mean? What Chris, do you mean? Wait, 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 uh, what's happening here? What, what do you mean, um? What do you mean, um? I thought this was a lock. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I remember saying even on the show, it's 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 in one of the shows that I was not not coming. I right. remember specifically saying, yeah, that. not not coming. Uh, That's a lot. And I have I'm in this precarious place now where uh, my very best photo client is uh, has just reached out to me for the exact same dates as Linus Fest Northwest. So I'm <laughs> I'm in a real pickle. So. I may not be there for the festival itself, but I might like fly from Ottawa straight to the studio afterwards wow. to wow. see if I can maybe just catch some of the great people that are going to be in town. Some of the afterglow? Well, what is it really about? It's about the people That's and true. Linux Fest is kind of the bonus. So I'm going to try to see if I can make that work. I got an idea. Okay, I got an idea for you, Brent. You bring the client to Linux Fest. They're going to have a great time. We'll make sure they get some barbecue. <laughs> So, how did you know I was also thinking about that? <laughs> He's kind of into podcasting, right? <laughs> Good man. <laughs> so, I, I'm going to see what I can swing here. Just give me a few days. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 289 for February 19th, 2019. Hello there and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show that this week is taking a look at the community news as it is deep diving finally into MX Linux and saying goodbye to a real trooper of a project and then maybe, just maybe, wrapping our heads around that fedora switch to the new C groups. My name is Chris and joining me every, every single week is my man, Mr. Wes Payne. Hello, Wes. Hello. Hello, Wes. It's good to be with you again here in the studio on a gray, cold Seattle day. It's easier that way. We don't have to be distracted. We're not going to go run out and play in the sunshine because there isn't any. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point, Wes. Hey, what do you think about later on in the show today, talking about what it would take to make the next big Linux distro. Oh, you're getting ready to announce your distro, finally. (laughs) That's right, Chris Last Linux. No, uh, I'm looking at Clear Linux, and I'm looking at some other projects out there, and I'm thinking to myself, in 2019, how do you displace your Ubuntus of the world? How How do you topple the Fedora of the world? How do you get up there in that upper echelon of used distributions? So I thought maybe you and I in the mumble room could all talk about that in a little bit. And then there's a, not one, not two. Let's count them right now here live on the show. One, two, three. That's right. Four outrageously good picks. We may have to end the picks after this, Wes. Just call it done. Yeah, we've peaked. How peaked. are we going to do better Peak than these picks? picks? These, are, these right here are the very best picks. And then towards the end of the show, it's time for us to admit our shame. We have to look at our dirty, dirty home directories. When's the last time you went into your home directory and did a little LSLA? Uh, well, I did it today earlier yeah. before the show, <laughs> but before did. that, it had been weeks, and boy, it's a mess in there. Uh, it's like it's not even my own home directory. It's like it's owned by all the programs on my computer and not by me. Uh, so, in a way, I mean, you will never admit to this, but you actually are bringing this particular soapbox to the show. I have a feeling I'll be the one stepping up on it, but you brought the box. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, before we go any further, we absolutely have to bring in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello, everyone. Hello. Good evening. Good Hello. Evening. Hello. Hello. Hi. Good to have you all here. Thank you for joining us. Hey, are you both in the studio? Yeah. Yeah. First time in ages. I guess it actually has been a while. It feels like a month or something. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I mean, I, don't th- I think the last time before this week I saw you was, it's got to be last year. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> How did you know, Brent? What was the tell? What was the giveaway? Uh, you both sound like you're in the same room. <laughs> well, that could oh, that interesting. Would do it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but also the uh, I have to say um, a little behind the scenes, uh, the bathroom break kind of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <you know, laughs> we we went to the time. bathroom together before the show. It's, it's true. That's how we get on sync for the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's how, we, that's how we get our flow going. <laughs> There you have it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's try to dig ourselves out of that particular hole. And uh, I wanted to start out with a new release this week of a distribution that we haven't really had an excuse to talk about much, and that's MX Linux. I've noticed more and more audience members writing into the show about this particular distribution. So that's probably what put it on my radar first. But it's got a few things about it that appeal. And um, I thought, you know what? This new release they have, it's time to give it a go. So MX 18.1 came out. It's not a particularly huge release on their part. It's mostly consisting of bug fixes and application updates since the 18 release. Uh, One thing of note is it does have that apt fix in there we covered uh, a few days ago, or a few episodes ago. Um, But here's what's neat about MX Linux. And I'll tell you, I think I'm kind of falling in love right off the top here. So I my bias is strong right now. It's based off of Debian 9.8, which is a great release. It's using XFCE as a desktop environment, but it's a nice, clean, Unity ripoff style XFCE. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd be able to identify it unless you were a serious desktop geek. Yeah, I mean, looking at this right now, you've got the sidebar launcher, right? Yep. You've got... Um, Icons there that are nice. You, I've, I've turned on the dark mode for the uh, GTK theme. Uh, it, it doesn't look anything like... Uh, it's XFCE, but not like I've ever used it. Right, I think the biggest thing is like you have you have the sidebar, but there's no top or bottom bars, so it, it's kind of a different feeling. They've got like a conky-style um, background where I've got my CPU usage and the clock on there. And the other thing they do is they include a couple of cool MX tools, like um, things to manage your your boot environment, or set up the NVIDIA driver, or install codecs. And they also include a simple MX package installer. They have um, a menu system that pops up, and you go in there, and right in there, they have the package installer selected. And in here, they have a stable repo, they have the MX test repo, they have Debian backports, and they have flat packs, all just right here. And you can do a search in different categories to see if they have the applications in those particular areas. And I wanted to try out to see how easy it would be to install Chrome. It's a bit of a benchmark of mine. Like, how quick do I get to Chrome on a desktop environment? Yeah, kind of like a standard proprietary application that you actually do need. Mm-hmm. And in their popular applications uh, category, when you search for Chrome, it comes right up. Right up and installs with Flash and all of that. Uh, really nice. It reminds me a little bit, I mean, this is going way, way, way back. But if you remember the uh, Drac tools in Mandrake, or if you're familiar with Yast and OpenSUSE, MX Tools is similar to those, but cleaner, simpler, and more efficient, and probably a little simpler design, too. There's a few other things in here that just bring up like command line utilities, like quick system info. So I'm running it right here. I decided to put it on my main studio system. 
And I got to say, uh, Wes, just just using this thing, like, well, I'm going to launch the file manager. Watch how fast this sucker pops up. Pow. Ooh, that was snappy. That's, no wasted time on boring graphical effects. Like, you don't even see the border of the window render. It's just it's instantaneous. Just there, yeah. It's instantaneous. And of course, it's, you know, it's because we're, we're talking Thunar here. We're using Thunar, so it's a little lighter weight and things like that. But still great. I mean, it, it's, Thunar's kind of proven itself over the years. You know what made me do this? We had those issues recently. So uh, yesterday, I thought you were going to say the little Joe Resenton in your ear. <laughs> well, I think that I think that might have made me really kind of all right. I'll try out XFCE. Damn it! It's just it's XFCE that doesn't look like a bastard. That's the part. Like I like XFCE, but I don't always like ugh, going through all the work to style it and theme it and yeah. make it look modern. That's like a it, bit much. Yeah. Um, but we ran into this weird, weird issue. This is the only system in our studio that's running Neon. All of our studio systems run Kubuntu 18.04 with the exception of the presentation system, which is actually captured by OBS and sent out on the stream. For that, we like to showcase the latest Plasma, the latest application releases. It ends up being something of a test machine at times, Mm -hmm. playing, playing with stuff. So this one was running Neon. Neon, which has been pretty solid. It's been running it for over a year. However, I came back from Texas, got here in the studio, and I thought, you know what, self, let's do a system update. It's been a while. So there's, responsible. There's, you know, new packages to install. Got to keep the system secure. And I, 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 I have two sides to me on this issue. Like, part of me is like, don't ever change the systems. Everything stays static. Right. Lock That's it down. the old school mentality. The least right. change possible, um, things won't break. Yeah. That would be a very predictable, reliable approach to managing a studio system, but not the most secure. But then there's that righteous side of me. It's like, well, screw this. If I can't update my operating system and keep it secure, then it is a clown show. And these things are connected to the internet after all. I literally said that you to you yesterday. You did say exactly those words. <laughs> and I mean, it's true, right? We should be able to do, especially even with Neon on an LTS base, we should be able to do simple security updates. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's why I'm running an LTS. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that's what Neon's based on. However, I recognize that it is more of a showcase of new plasma right. technology. They, they certainly wouldn't suggest that you deploy it in your podcasting studio. But we had this crazy-ass issue yesterday. After all of the updates were done, we had this problem where the EFI boot managing software called EFI Manager Signed, I think it was. Remember? Yeah, I mean, it was the package that contained like the, yes. a bunch of the signed stuff and the shim to do UEFI. And, and it wouldn't install. It wouldn't finish setting up. Right. It would not fully get through all of the depackage configuring. What did we ultimately do to solve that problem? We booted into a live environment. Yeah, we did a little troubleshooting, and then we just booted into a live environment partially to see, like... Well, would it boot? Yeah, we suspected it was borked, and, and it, it was. definitely was, yeah. So I just want to make it clear, uh, my Ubuntu LTS system borked after I did a system apt update, up, app upgrade. Normal that, way, yeah. That's all I did. Is I did sudo apt update, sudo apt upgrade. I didn't do a dist upgrade, didn't do it. I just did a sudo apt upgrade. And what broke wasn't a plasma package. What broke was some of the low-level boot stuff. Yeah, we were getting some strange errors about, you know, being out of out of disk space despite not actually appearing that way, and it just it just wouldn't install. Also, there was probably a kernel upgrade in there, so obviously some complications yeah. around trying to get all the new, like the new kernel and InterRAMFS linked up with the UFI system. So, End of the day, we just had to, we had to go chroot ch- into there, uninstall all of the grub stuff, and do a reinstall. For some reason, that worked. Yeah, that did work. Yeah, I mean, and I, I knew you and I together would be able to solve that, no problem. I was not worried about it. I knew we'd get, re- get it recovered. In fact, I've never had an Ubuntu system that I have not been able to recover yet. That has not yeah. been an issue. 
But there is that thing inside my brain that's like, well, wait a minute, man. You didn't do anything weird. You just did an update and then a reboot, and your system was completely hosed. And that's sat with me, you know, because this is my studio. You know, it sits with me. So when when an opportunity came around to try something that was perhaps Debian-based, and now I've learned Alsa is using Alsa a lot. It's not really like when you go in here, you're setting Alsa settings, not Pulse Audio settings. Oh, interesting. Which could be better for us. We have had some issues. So there is that, that, that's an angle that does appeal to me, is especially simplicity. The less moving parts, we don't need fancy features, at least on these machines. We just need a basic system. Our laptops, maybe that's one thing, right? But these systems here that are running 24-7 in the studio, we need simplicity. Yep. And MX Linux is super fast. It's based on Debian, which I trust and know how to use. And it has a bunch of these tools that sort of fill in the rough edges that... I think you could look at them in two ways. In some ways, it's a warning sign that a distribution needs these tools. You know, like in here is uh, GPG, fix GPG keys, <laughs> <laughs> fix boot environment. Oh my gosh. Like, why do yes. we need that? <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I just had my boot environment break. Yeah, right. So, it, so it's, not, it's not all the way on your own. It's not Arch or Genju. You're not left in the weeds or even just like, a, you know, like doing a manual Debian install. But I like their phrasing. They call it a mid-weight distribution, which you don't hear all the time. So it's not yeah. all the way full-featured, yeah. but you have a few niceties. Well, this is a combination of a couple of projects. So you got MIPS in here. I mean, you remember MIPS Linux and oh, yeah. not, not MIPS or not like the MIPS processor, but, yeah, MIPS but like or a, yeah. M-E- M-E-P-I-S. Yes. yes. Uh, so you got a couple of different distros. Um, right, and Anti-X too, right? That's yes. some of the folks from there. Involved. Yes, exactly. And I think it's a good example of a distribution that plays well with others because there's also like a minimal version of, uh, so the sort of the same group of people are working on a minimal version of oh. Linux. So you, so you got, this is a mid-level version of Linux and it's a good example of cross-community pollination. And I think it's kind of what's leading to its success. Their forms are very active. You've got the overall support network of Debian. Right. Yeah, between the support and the availability of software, that's that's huge. Right. Whereas like Ubuntu is ultimately based on Debian, MX Linux is Debian. It is a Debian install. And there is a difference there. And there is mm, perhaps, perhaps, an end result that I'll see differently in a, in, a, in a simplification here of our audio stack. So we'll see. I'm going to try it for a little while. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You're going to leave it on oh, here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I'm, I, I thought I'd throw it on for the day, and I was going to be just have a laugh and call it good. But, um... What a, damn it! That just means Joe's going to be right. Crap. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know That's if I fine. Can... As long as we do it in our own way, you know. Right. It's a pretty version of XFCE, yes. right? And we'll we'll tweak it and stuff. I'll, I'll install Jack on there later. Okay. And All right. It'll be great. Whew. That makes me feel a lot better, Wes. That makes me feel a little a lot better. Anyways, uh, MX Linux eighteen one. If you've been looking for a new Linux that is based on a tried and true distro like Debian, give it a spin. Give it a spin. Um, I don't think it's going to. Uh, you know, I, we're going to ultimately later today, we're going to talk about what makes the next big distro. I don't think it's going to be that. But I think for people like me, I think it's, a, it's filling a pretty good use it's case. It's almost a nice thing, right? You don't need it. You're not looking for a project with huge, ambitious goals. You want simple. Yeah. I really do just want something that just works, Wes. I just want it to work. <laughs> well, I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Who brought him in here? Who brought that guy in Well, we in mentioned, here? Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So you may notice uh, we're sitting around the show today, and uh, our buddies from Canonical are not here this week. They're out doing a, not only, um, not only uh, I guess what they call an engineering sprint, as it were, but it's turned into a full-fledged multimedia production. 
So our friends over at Canonical have uh, been doing these Snapcraft summits for a while. Uh, I went to one, and it's pretty intense and pretty um, interesting because there is a lot of pressure to get work done, and then there's a there's also a pressure to socialize too. Like right, you're a, seeing all these people you yeah. don't often get to see, yeah. and you know they're just a fun bunch. But um, it kind of all happens behind closed doors. It all kind of happens out of the view of the community. And that's a bit of a shame because I think there's takeaways from the people that are involved outside of Canonical that are there trying to solve their problems. Like I got a tremendous amount of insight talking to some AWS engineers and the Plex packaging individual at the last Snapcraft uh, summit. Like I just got, uh, it just opened my eyes to the scale of AWS that just the it just which you always need a resetting when you're not when you're not intimately familiar with how the scale of AWS. Anytime you get an opportunity to talk to an AWS engineer and appreciate the scale they're dealing with, it's yeah. Mind-blowing. You realize that the units you normally talk in are way too small. No, they're adorable. Is what they are. They're adorable. And then the the, the like the issues that groups like Plex face trying to package up the Plex server onto Netgear NASes and onto every individual particular type of operating system. No, thank you. It's crazy. It's absolute craziness. But that doesn't translate to a public understanding. It doesn't really doesn't really inform the rest of the Linux community about what these people are trying to solve. And that's where I think things could be beginning to change, depending on how much the folks over at Canonical are willing to share. But famous internet leaker Alan Pope is live streaming the Snapcraft summits. They're calling these a bootstrap summit. Oh. Yeah, they say, we've run a few in-person Snapcraft summits, bringing together application developers and experts from Snapcraft and Linux security to help get software into the Snap store. Often, it's paired programming, and they build a snap together, and that accelerates the developer's knowledge and understanding, right? It's great. That makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you're trying to, you know the application, someone on their side knows the, right their the packaging off. technology. I think, this would, I think this would, if Flatpak could pull this off, this would serve Flatpak really well. Uh, but the goal of Snapcraft Live is to bootstrap developers in building snaps and publish them into the snap store. We will cover the tools and set up required best practices and recommended processes. We also have an opportunity to ask the experts who sit in the live stream alongside the live session and ask them questions. So they will be live streaming some of these. They've already done one, the kickoff episode. Uh, they built a few simple snaps. They had a few people sit around and answer some questions. And they're going to be doing more of this. Uh, there was a second episode on February 13th where they did a com- uh, like a complex application example. Oh, yeah. And uh, long term, I think this is a a pretty savvy way to get the word out on what is involved in packaging software for Linux and what particularly these universal packaging formats are solving. Because you have people listening today that still don't get it. And I think this kind of thing is maybe, maybe the move Canonical needs to make to better explain the value that these bring. It is interesting, right? We're watching them try to grow this new ecosystem of applications. So it's a whole new marketplace. Well, and from a from like a business standpoint, you've got Canonical spending considerable sums of money flying all these people to Malta. I mean, there's, a, there's a big push on this in all kinds of directions on their side. So uh, if they can reach more people through these live streams, that would be a much, much more effective use of their time. But as an audience, as a viewer, it gives you an opportunity to get insight into how software is built and made for Linux. And I can't stress how 
informational that can be. It it changed my perspective on so many things witnessing this firsthand, and now you can do it via live streams. It's not it's not necessarily the same exact thing as being there, but man, that's a heck of a lot better than what it was before when it was just all behind closed doors. So uh, hats, hats off here to Popey for pulling that off, and hopefully it gets a little traction. People go check this out, and it's something they can keep doing. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, more and more, especially, you know, Popey will come on this show, and uh, by the end of the episode, he's he's snapped up some new application. Yes. If you watch this, you can probably go decipher it and snap up applications that you might want snapped. That's true. Yeah, last last week we covered that solitaire on the command line, right? And then by the... Before, I think before our show notes were done. Yeah, before the notes were even finalized, he had snapped up the solitaire command line Amazing. application. Yeah, so go out there, go check out what they're doing, and, and really get an insight into what it's like to ship software for Linux. And I say thank you to Popey for actually streaming that thing, because having gone to those... Uh, I'd say they're super insightful. And with a live chat room, you can always ask questions live at Malta. Now, the next story we have in community news is a bit, um, I don't know how you describe this one, Wes. It's like sad. It's also uh, extremely encouraging, and it's a it's a victory story for open source, and it's an opportunity for a possible new direction. But it starts with saying goodbye to the maintainer of the Shorewall project, which is a really brilliant way to set up IP tables. Makes it super simple and easy for end users. To- yeah. So like on, on TechStep, we were just talking about Firehole, which is an alternative, and by far and away, anytime you bring that up, the very first thing that gets said, unless it's someone who's just trolling you and be like, just learn IP tables, yes. is go use Shorewall. Yes. It is kind of dominant unless you're like already doing Firewall D or UFW. Yeah. And uh, it's been mentioned a few times on this show. It doesn't quite get the attention that Firehole does or that maybe it's PSM does. It's kind of, does. right, it's, it's one of those earlier generations mm-hmm. of open source projects because it has been around for a long time. But its website not, might not be flashy, but it works. And it's also, it's got some of those core values that you want from an edge application like this, something that's just been around, it's been reliable, steady, maintained. Well, uh, the Shorewall um, maintainer, his name is Tom... Tom Estep. Estep, yep. And I did not know this until today. He's based in Shoreline, Washington. He's. I drove past his uh, residence, surely, <laughs> on my way up here. 40 minutes from the studio. Uh, man, I'd love to buy that guy a beer. Boy, Tom, if you happen to listen to Linux Unplugged show, reach out to me, uh, Chris at JupiterBroadcasting.com. If, if you ever make it up to Linux Fest Northwest, I swear to God, man, beer on me. Or whatever your beverage of choice is. Yeah. Could be a glass of we water. We can meet halfway. We'll go to Muckle Teal. It'll be fine. I'd like to shake your hand. Uh, so he writes, I'm now in my mid-70s and have spent almost 50 years in tech-related industries. More than three years ago, I retired from my position at Healy Packard Enterprise. And while I've continued to develop and support Shorewall, I feel that it is now my time to say goodbye. Shorewall 5.2.3 will be my last Shorewall release. If you find problems with that release, I will attempt to resolve them. But I am now departing on an extended trip to visit some... Oh, man, he won't make it to Linux Fest then. He's departing on an extended trip to visit some of the places in the world that I've always dreamed of seeing. That's a pretty good reason. That I mean, whoo, is that is you've really, earned it. Tom. No kidding, fifty years in IT, and he survived. Can you imagine the change he has seen in fifty years? And then towards the tip of that, to be working on Linux and IP tables. Wow, right? Yeah, just just doing Linux and IP tables for the past ten years has been a crazy amount of change. But then fifty years. 
With 50 years of perspective, Linux is still the new operating system. It sure is, yeah. <laughs> That's just mind-bending. I would love to pick his brain about some of those changes. Yes, yes. I don't know. I, I don't know where this goes next. The project is a healthy project. I hope to see it get picked up. He says, most of all, he, write, he ends with, most of all, I want to thank all of you have, who have used Shorewall and who have helped make it better over the years. You are the ones that I will miss the most. That's just really sweet. It, it really it is, is a great example of, of open source and the huge amount of time and investment yeah. that volunteers put into these projects. And talk about, I mean, just talk about a classy way to sign off. Not a rage quit, not a burnout quit, but like, you know, in my Just 70s. enough personal information. Yeah. And, yeah. and to- I mean, he does make it clear, too, that he's happy to help future maintainers. Like, Shorewall doesn't need to die. I don't think it will. I don't think so either. It's got so much momentum. Especially if you've got Tom sticking around willing to answer questions. I think that makes a huge difference. Even if he can only do it when he's uh, somewhere with connectivity as he travels the world. Yeah, I think various Wi-Fi good. hotspots around <laughs> the globe. <laughs> oh, man. If you use, uh, if you use, if you use Shorewall, I don't think you have much to worry about. Plus, I, the underlying IP tables is not going It's anywhere. not going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. That's one of the great things about these. You know, <clears throat> if you think about this, just as an aside, in the commercial world, you'd probably have some sort of custom-grown firewall solution that is at end of life now. Right, if the company, if you've got a, if you've got a small business that develops this product, this happens all the time in enterprise. If you've got a small business that develops the product, and the guy decides he's going to close up shop, that's it. Yeah, that's no it. more releases. But with open source, you can look at that and go, yeah, you know, we've got five shore, shore wall boxes in production, but they're all using standard IP tables, so we've got nothing to worry about here. Yeah, right. You can move, you can move tables, you, tools. You can just save that state. It doesn't matter. I think that's pretty cool. I think that is... I that mean, is, it just shows some of the wisdom, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you're using Firehole or Shorewall or UFW. Because we have a common kernel interface, we can use whatever tools we want. Yep, that's it. That is it. Thank you. You put that much better than I was. All right, well, let's talk about a big upgrade. I've been playing a lot of Mario recently. I've been playing a lot it's, of uh, it's, it's showing. Yeah. I, you're happier. It's nice. I am very pleased, too, with the new release of Geary. Geary 0.13.0. I thought I was never going to talk about Geary again. I Honestly, I felt the same way. <laughs> Not that I didn't want to talk about it. It just hadn't been updates. No. No, and it was getting a little rough. It was getting a little rough. But it is under a new maintainership now, and version 0.13 is a major release featuring a number of new features, including... Some brand new user interfaces for creating and managing email accounts. Integration with GNOME Online accounts, which, by the way, means if GNOME Online accounts is broken, Gary is also broken. Side note. Um, Not that I would know. Improving and displaying of conversations, composing new emails, kind of a key feature has been improved. Interacting with other email apps has been improved. Reporting problems has been improved. And a number of important bug fixes, server compatibility fixes, and security fixes. And the latest version is available as a flat pack. So you know what I did? Gave it a go. Now, I have got... um, I've got about three inboxes that I'll attach. The inbox that has the least amount of unread messages is around 4,000 unread messages. There's about 30,000 read messages. It's like an iceberg, yeah. Yeah, so I I can really stress test these applications. And i got to say, Wes, my order of op was add my uh, Google account to GNOME online accounts. So you're going system-wide here, mm -hmm. yeah. Fedora 29. I added it to GNOME online accounts. Then I installed the Geary Flatpak. Launched Geary. Immediately had all my stuff immediately wow, had everything. that is... All set up, ready to go. That's my, like 
Apple level slick. It was. It was like you log into like iCloud on the Mac and then you open up mail and it's just, I, I presume, I actually don't think that actually works on the Mac now that they talk about it, but it should, <laughs> it should work like that on the right. Mac. And it, but it does on with Gary now. It's, and you know what's crazy about that, right? Is I'm putting all of that, I mean, it's not crazy, but it's great. I'm putting all of that information into the GNOME online account system settings and a sandboxed Flatpak application. Still gets to go find all of that detail. Right. And respects my dark mode theme, all that stuff. We have come a long way. Yeah. It looks really good. I sent you a screenshot. You did. That earlier. was beautiful. Yeah. So do you think it'll hang around? Are you going to keep using it for a bit? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. See, because that's a, that's a big change because I feel like just I was a month pissed. ago we were like, there are no desktop email no. clients to use. I'm like, I got to buy an iPad to do email because I can't. Yeah, you said that. I, I can't even Linux right now. And we'll see. You know, we'll see. It's so you have to wait a little while to find yeah, like what but, little tiny de- details are wrong. But I can already tell you, uh, some of the paper cuts I used to have with the older version of Gary have been taken care of. So huge, huge improvement. Version thirteen zero point thirteen is out. You can grab it as a flat pack, and um, I recommend it. Like if you look at if you look at the enhancements in this release, it's literally every major aspect of the application. I mean, just a huge congratulations to them. And then while we're talking about great open source applications getting an update or an upgrade, our favorite photo management application, well, maybe one of the favorites, Digicam 6.00 is released. And now, Brent, I realized um, when you and I have talked before, are you, you're more of a Darktable guy. I was going to say it's our favorite, but Darktable might be our actual favorite, right? Well, you know, you're including all of us. For me, definitely Darktable has done what I needed to, but uh, Digicam does something a little bit different. So it depends sort of which angle you're coming at. And uh, some people absolutely love it. I've used it a lot for um, more personal side uh, photo kind of management. And for that, it certainly works great. And it's awesome to see the software keep evolving. So uh, uh, definitely anyone who's looking for that type of software should check it out. So you do a breakdown of... You have one photo management application for your personal pictures. And then for those listening that don't know, Brent is a professional photographer that uses Linux for his workflow. And then you have a separate application for your pro app, for your pro photo. So one personal, one pro. Is that true? Is that what I just heard? Um, that is what I alluded to, but actually what I <laughs> meant is, so for a bit more detail, what I mean is that uh, on the personal side of things, I suggest Digicam to a bunch of friends and family to use um, because Darktable is a bit more involved than what they're looking for. And uh, yeah. Digicam just kind of makes it easy in, in ways that they don't need to sort of understand what's going on in the back end. That's, that's really interesting because... I'm kind of curious about that since I I mostly use Darktable myself. I was here's like where ah. where's the sweet spot that Digicam fits? Yeah, it depends if um like uh, from what I know of US, um you are probably pretty organized when it comes to your files. Um but some people are just kind of willy-nilly with their photos all over the place. Oh, so yeah, okay. applications like Digicam or um the other one that's passing my mind now, um they do a really good job of just kind of organizing all the photos for you. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm more of a folder-based organizer when it comes same, to projects same, and stuff like same, that. So, yep, yep. Yeah, so if you're using your own methods to sort all of your projects and photos and stuff like that, then you really just need to point the software at the folder that you want. Right. But, for some people, um, they just want to take a broad look at every, you know, all of their photos all at once and then sort of dive in from there. So um, for that approach, um, some of this other software is 
just a different workflow, I think, is a different way of mm-hmm. looking at it. I actually think that's a very, very useful differenti- differentiating way of managing your photos that you just pointed out. Because myself, I have two modes. I have the ones that I've taken with my DSLR of my kids at holiday events or something like something that. Something you planned a little more. You brought the good camera. Yes. Yeah. That's the ones where like, I put them in folders. I organize them that Maybe way. Maybe even go through them and, and pick through stuff. Yep. And I'll, you know, I manually copy them off the SD card. And then you've got like the cell phone pictures, which I just blast away at. And I just want to slam all of those in an application and just scrub through it from time to time. And you may have taken like one photo one day that you care about and then like like 20 the next day. And then, um, so the other application I was thinking about um, is Shotwell. It does a good oh, job yeah. of just right. kind of amassing a bunch of photos in a, like a thumbnail style view and, right. and figures out all the date, you know, you can sort it by date if you want and, or by folder. So it's just like, oh, I've got these 3000 photos from the last, you know, year in one folder from my phone or something like that. So those applications are great for that kind of thing, but uh, certainly they're capable of a lot more than that too. And the other nice thing that's appealing for some of us with Digicam is that it's a cute based application. So it, it, oh, yeah, right. it looks really nice on the plasma desktop. Well, I'm just going to have to give it a try. <laughs> well, version 6.00 now includes support for video file management. So videos are essentially just as fully supported as photos are. And that's like, okay, Chris, that sounds kind of, well, to be expected, right? However, if you think about what they had to pull off, it actually required, to put it quite simply, as they write, a huge factoring of source code to make this possible. So you're telling me that videos aren't just a bunch of moving pictures? (laughs) They say the challenge to deal with these videos was to extract the metadata and then populate the database in a way that is actually relevant to the end user. And they say they started this work in version 5.50, so the last major release, using the Qt AV framework to play video files in Digicam. Now, Qt AV, for those that don't know, is just essentially a direct Qt way to get to FFmpeg. So whatever FFmpeg can play, this can play, which is really, really nice. Uh, Then they had to build a video thumbnailer. Yep, yep. Obviously, right? Absolutely. But it's not something you think of, and they wanted something, again, that FFmpeg could help generate the thumbnail so they could support as many wonky camera formats as they could possibly uh, support. Uh, And they had to look at the different cute APIs to pull that off, and they had to pick the right one to get that working. The advanced search tool needs to be able to search for the metadata in videos. So they had to get that working. They had to get that metadata they extracted from the videos into the database to make it searchable. You know, this is a really good reminder of just like, despite a lot of that metadata filling the same role regardless of container format, it's always different. Yeah, there's always so many edge cases. Like, there's a standard. <laughs> and then you're, there's like six variants to the standard. Yeah. And then undocumented semi-official standard. Right. Yeah, so much so. Um, and there's other nice things in this too. They've improved their raw file decoding. So for even more camera oh, support. Yeah, that's big. Yeah. And um, they've uh, simplified uh, uh, authenticating with remote web services using OAuth, which I think is a good that call. Is, yeah, that's, that's a good call. So anyways, it looks like a really solid Digicam release. And I really appreciate that breakdown that Brent did because I, I feel like it actually made me feel a little bit le- less like a madman because I felt, I felt like I had this sort of bipolar way to manage my photos. And it's really just the ones that I've put a lot of intention into and a lot of thinking behind and then the ones that I just blast on my camera. And there, it's just it, that actually might – maybe the solution there for me is just two different applications. And I don't know why I never thought of that before, but it just seems so obvious. So thank you, Brent. There you go. Community service for you. <laughs> very, very nice, sir. Thank you very much for that. Hey, you're in studio. You got the real bell beside you. Come on. Analog bell. You're right. You're right. Is there a real bell? What you have to remember is there is no bell. 
There is no bell. Just like there is no system when you're in a C group. Fedora 31 is planning to use C groups version 2 by default. All right, I got to come clean here. Didn't really realize there was a version 1 or version 2 <laughs> and didn't realize that distributions may be considering moving to a new version of this yeah, right? C group thing. So maybe uh, if anybody else feels this way, could you just explain to me what the difference between like a version 1 C group and a version 2 C group is? And are there going to be version 3 and 4s? Like, okay. And, oh, actually... And maybe, maybe explain what a C group is. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a lot there. But uh, quick lightning refresher. C groups are part of the magic in the kernel that makes what we call containers possible. They're also known as control groups. What's the difference between a C group and a namespace? Well, I mean, they, they basically do different things. So a namespace sets up what, basically what you can see. So you might have a mount namespace showing you the mounts that you as a process have access to. And a control group is... Is for controlling access and to resources ah. and limiting those. So if you want to make sure that your container can only use X amount of memory, yeah. well, you put it in a C group. It, it, so I kind of think of namespaces a little bit as like almost like a VLAN, but that's probably a bad explanation. But like you can namespace in a, an application, so it exists in this namespace. Now a C group, can I use a C group to control what that namespace can get access to on the host system? No, you really do it at the process level. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And you can go, you can go poke at it. They're they're both tree structured. So you basically see in V one, uh-huh. you had separate trees for different things. So you have like under the CPU C group or the memory C group, uh-huh. and then you could go add things in there. C two is changing to a unified hierarchy. Version one has been around for a while, which is you know, I mean, started back in like two thousand six at Google, and so yeah. there's just been some growing pains. It was the first time the kernel was really experimenting with adding these kinds of in kernel control so that you could actually do that. And like some of the benefits, right? One of the big ones for memory, you can have separate out of memory killers. So you can make sure that even if your Java application goes crazy, the kernel will never accidentally shoot SSH by mistake. So those are some handy features. But unfortunately, especially because it had different hierarchies, it meant you kind of had to keep a lot in your head as you're like, okay, well, I want to control these six different things about my processes. And I got to go add them to these separate trees. Now, it, it, it's a lot simpler. It's more of what they call a purpose-driven design. So you can make one C group under the new hierarchy and then add different controllers to it, depending on what you actually want to control. Okay, so I can add a controller. What's a controller? So that's the, that's the thing that lets you control CPU or uh-huh. memory. So is it like a group of resources? Somewhat. Um, you can go find all the links to like the, the, the nitty-gritty details. The funny part about this, and we're even talking about it at all, is you as a user, unless you're doing a lot of container stuff oh, or yeah, you're into sure. this stuff, yeah. you're not going to see it. But what I thought was interesting, it's another example of Fedora pushing things. Because Cgroups V2 is considered like stable-ish in the future from the kernel perspective in like 2016. And we, I mean, have we talked about it at all since then? No, no. probably not. You didn't even know. No. And that's because no one's really shipping it. You can enable it, right? The kernel has it. So we, you're telling me we've had version 2 since 2016 and everybody's shipping version 1? Yeah, pretty much. Well, and then also, how dare they? also all the applications that are going to take advantage of these neat kernel features, well, they can only really count on version 1 being out there, so a lot of them don't support version 2, which means then distros don't have a lot of reason to support version 2 either. Uh, well, Fedora's yeah, okay. breaking that cycle. It sounds like, or at least they're considering doing that, in Fedora 31. So hmm. whether or not you'll actually care, it might make like some of the things, there are some new features and nice nice design improvements here. So SystemD will take advantage of those. Docker will take advantage of those. In, in what way does SystemD take advantage oh, of Oh, I mean, SystemD uses cgroups all over the place to go constrain stuff. If you ever look at like all those slices on your system, mm-hmm. under the hood it's using cgroups so that you can keep track of stuff. That's another way, 
Remember those old init scripts where you sort of like double forked your daemon and then it could sort of escape from itself? That doesn't happen anymore because you're not just trying to track like child processes. They're contained in a C group. Ah. Hmm. So you might not actually directly notice anything, but I think it adds to the story of doing the, the small little improvements. We needed to do this, right? The kernel has done it. At some point, version one is going to disappear, but the kernel community hasn't forced user space to change so it's nice to see someone doing it. Hmm. Yeah, it is nice to see, at least if nobody else steps up and moves the ball forward, it's nice to see Fedora do it because there's a potential it could eventually end up shipping that way in RHEL. Yeah, right, down down the road once everything's mm. stabilized. And, you know, surely Cgroups v2 isn't perfect. There'll probably be future changes to the kernel. Who knows? But we won't know what changes are needed until yeah. people are really using yes. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's, go to the, uh, let's go to the virtual lug there. Uh, Neil, I bet you have thoughts on this one. So the main thing here uh, to consider about the C groups thing is that for many years, Fedora has been running in C groups configured in hybrid mode through systemd as a controller. So hybrid mode allows us to offer a unified hierarchy, which provides some aspects of C groups v2 along with C groups v1 compatibility for basically most of the world, which only supports C groups v1. So the idea going forward is that we will switch off the unified hybrid mode and move fully to the pure C groups v2 mode. This means applications will finally be forced to adapt uh, and actually start working from the new C groups v2 controller. And to be fair, one of the reasons why it's been taking so long for C groups to uh, get good and also to be adopted by things and also for switching from v1 to v2 is because primarily systemd is the driver for a lot of the c groups development that's a lot of good context thank you neil i I appreciate that so this begins to roll out in fedora 31 uh which uh, we will see using c groups version 2 by default and we still have 30 to get through so we it's not like it's gonna like smack us in the face here we have we there is time um and i think it's good to get that ball rolling and to be fair, I, I, at least me personally, as Chris, you already know this, and some of the rest of the world here may not know, but I am the SnapD maintainer in Fedora. So I maintain the SnapD integration and stuff like that. SnapD is going to currently be broken with Cgroups v2 because we leverage Cgroups v1 exclusively. Um, the hybrid mode is what allows us to work even when we access some aspects of Seagroups v2. And now, ah. because Fedora 31 is now planning to move to Seagroups v2, we are finally going to start. Uh, system D, uh, SnapD upstream is starting to look at the uh, at moving SnapD to be able to support Seagroups v2. It's an issue we've known for a little bit over, well, I want to say two years now, because the bug was first filed by one of the SystemD maintainers who was doing the first explorations two years ago. So we've known about the issue. It's just a matter of, like, figuring out what we need to do. And over the last couple of years, Seagroups v2 has filled out more so that functionality that we require is now available for us to use in some form. Maybe not exactly the same way, but we have a means of of getting to where we need to go. I imagine it'll be the same for Flatpak and many other things that also in some way leverage C groups. That is good to know. Like, as as the time has been spent, it seems like, at least uh, on the surface, it's been in somewhat of preparation for this. It is also interesting, like, like the... You said roll up pretty quickly. All right, well, 
as a, if a, as a result of this, well, Snap, Snap stuff is fixed. Well, that makes it a lot easier for Ubuntu <laughs> to start enabling these <laughs> That's things. That's true. That's true. Uh, Mr. Payne, uh, would you go ahead and hit the uh, seatbelt sign there? Uh, we have we we have a little uh, housekeeping to attend to here on the show. And um, I, I just want to say meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. I, I never in the history, in the uh, many, many, many year history of this network, have we had three simultaneous meetups going at once. I feel like I feel like we've hit a new milestone here. We're doing it big. We are going big. So uh, the first one coming up is on March fifth, Tuesday. It'll be following immediately after Linux Unplugged. We are doing the Linux Operating System Fundamentals Study Group. The training architect Kenny and L will be joining us to go over some of the fundamentals of Linux. This is a course that I have recently released for free to community members of Linux Academy. People hate it when I talk about this, but it's not an ad. This is just part of my my day job that I don't normally talk about here on the air. Is I uh, working with L have released about 22, 23, 24 content courses from like lab. I say content courses because it's like labs, it's quizzes, it's it's all kinds of stuff and video and audio and You're all. Just that on kind. that content free mission, aren't you? I have been sneaky soldier, <laughs> you. <laughs> and I think my favorite one. Is the student's favorite one, I think, maybe is subnetting fundamentals. Oh, but, that's a good one. Yeah. My favorite one is the Linux operating system fundamentals because it, Kenny goes, uh, if you take the whole course, which is available for free, Kenny goes from the world before Linux existed and the conditions that made it ripe for Linux, then the launch of Linux, the introduction of GNU, and now like he goes from all of that to like the cloud. In one course. It's about like an hour and 45 minutes. Now, what's great is we're going to do that in a uh, condensed interactive version on March 5th. Immediately following Linux Unplugged, we're just going to keep the mumble room rolling. And Kenny's going to join us. And we're just going to go over that. We're going to do a study group on the fundamentals of Linux, like the very basics. So if, if you have been using Linux for over a decade or if you've just found Linux and want some of the gaps filled in, you want some of the history, you want to interact with somebody who intimately knows that stuff. It's like a classroom unplugged. That's what these study groups are. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And then the other couple of things that we have going, um, which is only applicable to those of you in the States, but uh, it's pretty exciting. We are, I don't know if I can, I'm going to say, I'll say it, I'll say it. We are doing two different meetups, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh, that Mr. Popey is officially going to scale. Wow. So Popey, I think, I'm pretty sure he's going to be at scale. I'm pretty well, sure I'm just going to hold him to it already. So there, that's, it's done. Yeah. So we're doing a JB dinner meetup. Uh, I'll be there. Wes will be there. L will be there. And all of you, if you're going to scale, go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and come hang out with us. Thank you to Maddie for setting that up and Geek, uh, AKA Geek Dad. And then last, but absolutely not least, I will be driving my home to the beautiful Bellingham, Washington, parking it in the parking lot of the Bellingham Technical College and cooking for you, along with the great folks over at System76, who will be providing meats and other things. I just say things, so I don't want, I don't want to put anything on the record, but you know what I'm saying, Wes. You know what I'm saying. Supplies for a wonderful evening. That's right. That's right. That's a good way to put it. And Levi's going to be there. You're going to be there. Yeah, that's right. The whole JB crew will be there at Linux Fest Northwest. And we are going to do a Lady Jupe's barbecue in the parking lot. <sighs> I'm hungry lot. already. <laughs> it's going to be so good. It's People are flying in literally from all over the world for this. Isn't that something? It's blowing my mind already. It is really cool. 
And you're going to be giving a talk at Linux Fest. Uh, look, looks, looks like two. Really? Yeah. Oh, what are they? I mean, I know one of them. Was, yeah, well, one's like a, a nerdy dev talk where we're going to go from basics and explore uh, the Lambda calculus and why you might care. So that one's a, that one's a little bit nerdier. And then the other one is going to be um, a review and a basic intro to Linux audio production. Did you think, did you, I mean, looking back like a year ago, did you think you would have this level of understanding like you do now? No, it, no, I did not. <laughs> and it's changing every day. It, so, yeah, uh, Wes has really done a deep dive into Jack and Pulse, but also uh, uh, editing under Reaper. Like, you, you're really getting some good experience, so it's a good time to give a talk on that. Yeah, you know, it should be a lot of fun and lots to learn. Yeah. So meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for that information. That's really kind of what we had in the housekeeping section of the show. Um, we're just really excited because I think Linux Fest is going to be it's going to be really great. Not not even just for us, but it's their twentieth anniversary, and uh, it, that's kind of special. Yeah, even if you didn't have like all, all the great people that we're bringing in, it's just a good time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, we'd love to have you there. Uh, I know it's not. I know it's not feasible for most of you because um, tens of thousands, and there's many, many more than tens of thousands of you that listen to this show, and only a, a couple hundred of you are going to make it. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And if you can't make it to that. Consider doing a smaller micro version of that. Microdose our virtual lug. Think about that for a second. You can't you can't get the full Linux Fest Northwest or the scale experience. Well, come microdose over here at Linux Unplugged. We have a virtual lug. We interact with these folks all the time. You just have to pass an audio check from time to time. I mean, today we didn't even have any mods because they're all having lives today. So he just got on air today. <laughs> he showed up. Uh, <laughs> Again, it's unplugged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we love having you. We just, we really do. And we think it makes for a great community experience. And it does give you a small version of what you get in person at Linux Fest Northwest. Yeah, you get to tell us when we've just got something horribly wrong. Yeah. But I mean, like Brent, you know, he wouldn't be kind of trying to figure out all these crazy ways to like appease his client and make it to Linux Fest unless there was some real value there. I don't want to put or it spot. might just be that he hates his house because he's never there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to travel. Have a really terrible home. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or just don't have one. That's been my approach. No, right. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, Brent, but like what, how do you put a value on, I'm, try, I'm trying to convince people to come out and uh, hang out with some Linux users and, and talk Linux stuff, but I, I don't know how to explain why that's valuable. It seems like it's a preposterous idea. Like, what yeah, kind of moron? Who would spend thousands of dollars to just go talk about Linux? I could jump in an IRC room and do it for free. Well, I think it's the intangibles, really, and, and that you kind of hit on. It's um, There's something about being face-to-face with the people in the community that is um, priceless. Let's say that. That works well. Um, yeah. For me, personally, and I think this might be true for a lot of the community out there, um, last year was my first Linux Fest of any kind. I had never been to any Linux conference at all before that. And I just happened to be in the area um, when uh, Linux Fest Northwest was happening last year. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make a little effort here to try to go. And for me, that really kickstarted my ability to um, be a part of the Linux community. I had been listening to the JB shows for years and years, but um, now, I mean, you guys can totally see that. I was able to put faces to the people that I hear uh, on the podcast every week, and we've developed friendships with all sorts of people in the community. And so for me, it uh, as a creative, I, I didn't quite know how I could um, help the Linux community by giving back. And then once I was at Linux Fest, it became really clear that my participating in any way was really helpful. So mm. I encourage 
anybody to go to any Linux fest or any Linux conference anywhere just to make connections. And it turns something virtual that we, you know, we connect online, but it turns something virtual into something really tangible. And mm-hmm. that's super priceless. It sounds cliche to say, but we are wired for in-person like you and I have been doing a show together in a month. This feels great doing it does, a show yeah, together. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's great because we're in person. Like we we develop like a a a, um, a whole way of communicating that is visual. It's it's body cues. It's language. It's all of that. That when you're not in person, you don't get that. And it seems so obvious. And it, you know everybody knows that you, the text conversations don't necessarily have the same context that in person conversations have. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know that. And yet I'm here to tell you, I am the biggest recluse. I, I I honestly would be happy not seeing another human being for weeks at a time. I could stay in my room for weeks at a time. A and real homebody. I am. I don't I don't I don't need it. Don't don't need it. Don't need it. And yet I'm I'm the one sitting here telling you, come to these things. It's worth it. And it is really hard to imagine what you what you're missing out, right? It's like, well, some conferences are not great, some are some are average. Not this one. You, my friend, are a bit of a community success story in yourself. Yeah, that's right. You you just decided to come to one of our barbecues that we had. For this very show. And I mean, how many years ago was that? Four? Yeah, I think so. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. And now you're a full-time employee. You're doing this as a job. And we've been we've been doing this show for years together. Because you showed Who up to a thought? barbecue, yeah, totally right. I just happened to see you, yeah, having a, having a party at the studio. Yeah, I, I have you, had you gone to Linux Fest in the past before that. I had, but that was before I even knew about Jupiter Broadcasting. Wow, I was like, who are the, who are those jerks over there? <laughs> take hogging all the floor doing a broadcast. <laughs> Who's making all that noise? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it changes your life, maybe it doesn't. But uh, I mean, you just heard two stories from Brent and from Wes, and actually three from me too. Uh, if you can make it, it's worth it. And there's two different events going on, Scale and uh, Linux Fest Northwest. And we'll be there. And uh, I'd love to be part of that story. So come see us, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcast. All right, hit that sign again. We got something I want to talk about here. It's been on my mind for about a good solid year and a half, and I haven't thought of a way yet to address it. However, you and I hashed it out earlier today, and I think we've come to a way to talk about this that isn't a big downer. It isn't, isn't super depressing. And and the, the big question that I want to ask the class today, and I have a way for us to think about this, so we're going to frame this a little bit, but the, the question that I want to ask the class today is, how can there ever, again, be a big distro, like an Ubuntu-scale distro? Are we thinking about numbers here, or is, does brand count as well? I actually think both are a pretty important metric. I think both are pretty important. Because that's kind of what you're asking, right? Like, when do you get another distro that, that pushes, pushes its way into the marketplace and becomes one of the distros? Right, right. And, okay, so um, a couple of distros come to mind as pretty big distros. Uh, I think in terms of end-user desktop usage, it's, uh, Ubuntu is the undisputed champion. In Mindshare... Uh, you've got Fedora, and you've got OpenSUSE, you've got Elementary, which is based on Ubuntu, you've got um, a lot of those distros like Debian, and you know you, you know what tier I'm talking about, that tier. What else do you see in the enterprise space? You've got Debian, of course, and there are Ubuntu's in there for sure, but what else? RHEL? RHEL, yeah. Um, well, there's a little guy known as Clear Linux, then. You see yeah. that sometimes? Yeah, you see you container do. sorts of Linux? Well, so all of these kind of have a common thread, don't they? A corporate backer. Yes, they do. They all have a big corporate backer that has a enterprise strategy. Support contracts, what have you. Now, the one that you say there, though, that's maybe not as well known, Clear Linux. 
I think that's a great use case. So let's take a look at Clear Linux. They they just published a video, um, which is all audio. So I don't really know why it's a video other than the sound effects are pretty good. But they've published a video that kind of tries to make the case for Clear Linux. So let's play this. And then let's talk about if Clear Linux has a shot because they, A, corporate backer. There's a clear strategy. They're optimized for certain types of workloads. They have clearly... <laughs> see what? <laughs> Clearly, they have a, they have a couple of competitive edges, and they have those Intel pockets. Every application you have runs on an operating system made up of several parts. So when you update one part, it may throw things off balance, still leave security threats open, and maybe flat out cause the app to not work. This means that your team spends time and resources manually fixing the issue, or you reject the update. That means stability, but you may lose out on improved performance in the update. Whether breach, crash, or latency, not keeping your OS up to date can have real consequences. You need Clear Linux, an OS that's secure, performant, manageable, and customizable. By scanning for vulnerabilities and automating the latest security updates, Clear Linux delivers an environment designed to minimize breaches without causing slowdowns. Automated testing checks OS components yeah. for dependency issues. Since Clear Linux is built with the end-user application in mind, it ensures that performance optimizations are done at every layer of the stack so that when it comes to end-user application performance, you get the very best without having to worry about it. Where other distros have updates the size of the entire OS, Clear Linux software packages contain only the changed portion, leading to faster updates. Clear Linux is also easily customizable, so you can build a custom component, then use the mixer tool to combine it with the rest of the OS yeah. without recompiling it all. And finally, having a file structure that is separated into distinct layers makes Clear Linux easier to manage. With performance, security, customization, and manageability, the Clear Linux OS will be a reliable, stable pillar for whatever apps you run on it. Learn more at clearlinux.org. I've never installed GNU slash Linux. I mean, that's pretty compelling, right? I mean, see what those Intel dollars get you there. Yeah, marketing budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. It sounds really corporate to me, though, in a way that I'm not used to with Linux. Yeah. Oh, you know, you're right. It is very corporate Linux. Isn't I mean, it's, it? a, it's a product almost, is what it feels like. It is, yeah. The clear Linux thing is is kind of funny because Intel has been this is is the steward of three different Linux distributions that they back for specific purposes and have been over the course of the what last fifteen years, five or so of them. So it's weird that clear Linux now is suddenly special enough to be considered something that might be viable when the four of it that preceded it haven't been, even though they put the same kind of effort. So let me put this out there to you then. So what what does it take to make a Linux distribution big? Because I, I feel like talking like this, positioning like this, trying to clearly address a market, maybe it's containers or servers or Intel-based systems, like there is a, they are clearly addressing a particular market. They're coming at it with a very measured, very focused message, and it's backed by Intel with plenty of billions. Isn't that what it takes to make the next successful major Linux distribution? Mr. Payne, what do you think? Does Clear Linux have a chance here, or are we just locked in? Like, the big Linux players are the big Linux players, and so it will remain forever. 
it's a tricky thing to nail down because it really is a it's a it's a mind share thing. It's it's almost a, a feeling, right? It's, it's how you think about it. It's how how people model that distribution in their mind. And sometimes things start slowly and build more momentum than you really can appreciate. Hmm, okay. And so so Clear feels like it's on the cusp. I don't know how far it's going to go, but like when we first started talking about Clear, which was ages ago. Mm-hmm. There were some nice benchmarks out of Pharonics, but other than that, it was like, yeah, okay, well, really, what are you bringing? I, I kind of still feel that way, but I, you know, after after we played with it in a bit, it was a pretty usable system. Now, yeah, that's not yeah. enough to unseat, but with time and mindshare, maybe it is. But I, mm. I don't know. It does feel pretty locked in, and without some big corporate vendor deciding that they really want to play in that space, which does seem to be what Intel keeps wanting to do, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I'll tell you what my insights have given me at Linux Academy uh, is that there is so much momentum in the industry around certifications and qualifications yeah. for a job that it takes cer- certain things reach to a reach a point in the industry and then they become like a benchmark in which you are measured by. So like a, a Red Hat certification or, or, or a Docker certification is extremely valuable when you're trying to get a job. And so it sort of creates a cycle where people go to get that training. They go to get that certification so they can get those jobs. So then those jobs are looking for those particular qualifications. Right. Yeah, you've, you've built that. And it kind of gets locked in in a way. The other part, too, is, so we're talking about Linux, but which which aspects are we talking about? Because, so like Alpine is a distribution that's gotten way more popular. It's not going to be the next big Linux, but we talk about it way more than we used to, thanks to containers mostly. I don't know that I see someone like, is there going to be a next big Desktop Linux? Well, or, or is that Chrome OS? That was the other thing I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, is that Chrome OS? Now, on the server, all right, well, like Amazon Linux, if you want to consider that separate or a derivative, it's kind of unclear at this point. Yeah. Um, that doesn't see much use outside of it, but you can. You've got their virtual desktops you as well. Their, yeah, right. So I could see like stuff on the server happening. You're right that there are certifications and stuff, but enough of that now. I think also ends up being like you can still get certified on AWS and switch out distributions and 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 figure it out. Right? True. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And if you end up just using a bunch of configuration management scripts, then maybe right. you're not the person who has to know all that. What you're really kind of saying at the meta level there is uh, the version of Linux and the details about the Linux that you use on the different cloud providers just simply becomes an implementation detail. Yeah, I mean, it like might it matter, but matter. it only matters to the extent that your tools are built to use right. them and take advantage of whatever features they might have that you need. Wow, I'm just I'm just sitting with that for a second. I mean, the idea that like it doesn't really matter if I'm using Ubuntu or Red Hat, what really matters is that the cloud scripts that I'm using or the service provider that I'm using has the right tools or the right integration. I don't... I don't like the way that feels when I sit with it's, that. I mean, but you are it's completely kind of right. a, a success story consequence, right? Or like it's just Android. Like, yeah, like it Android. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jeez, you're right. And then, yeah, and, and I think you're right, too. Pair that with, like, Chrome OS is probably the, the, the next thing, big though. desktop. It's, it is the same And thing. users could care less that it's based on Gen 2 or that when you run a Linux application, it's running some kind of crazy Debian environment on top of a Gen 2 box. Like, they don't care. They just want to get their sound working. Which is happening I have too. a Google Drive docs to edit, man. Come on. The key here is partnerships. Everyone has kind of missed the point. The Intel 
the Intel thing is only as interesting as the the when the first agreements come in for saying like this will be happening with this and this is our recommended solution. The way SUSE made enterprise Linux become a success story in itself when they pioneered the business model was that they they partnered with companies to support exotic hardware platforms, exotic designs, and they started working with doing direct engineering of migrating systems from legacy Unices that we don't know about anymore to Linux-based platforms. And when Red Hat took that model, they just went and ran with it. They built on top of it all kinds of other things. And of course, between the two of them, they developed a certification programs. They built uh, they built life cycles and management and tooling and infrastructure. And like when you build all these things together you start building an ecosystem and the thing that everybody gets wrong be it server desktop containers or whatever is that you can't be an island you have to be an ecosystem if you're not developing an ecosystem or if you're not thinking from the point of view of making it so people can easily adopt your platform your technologies or become a part of it or a partnership and or help people pull away from one ecosystem to pull into the other because the friction is relatively low but there's this perception that it's really high as you know you can you can easily move from an ubuntu system to a fedora system to a centos system to a Celeste system to an open system and it doesn't really matter all that much when it comes to like, oh, your graphical applications are all kind of the same. The libraries are all there. You can compile stuff, you know, things like that. But it matters when you're trying to figure out what the hell you can use it with. And if you can, you if you've got partnerships that say, okay, these three D printers, you know, Red Hat through some of the you know their enthusiastic employees come together, they build a group and they start talking to three D vendors, three D printer vendors, and they get the drivers written, and then they put them into the upstream kernel, and then they bring them into Fedora first, and they talk about it as a Fedora feature. Then that means that Fedora has an avenue in which building another arm to their ecosystem. And then that eventually propagates into RHEL, where the, the industrial people start taking advantage of it and building a platform in which they can do commercial or industrial grade, you know, stuff built on top of 3D printing technologies. And so like it kind of feeds into this cycle. And it, that's just an avenue where volunteership evolves into something that's valuable for the business. It could easily go the other way, too. It doesn't really matter. The point is that there's got to be this 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 connection between uh, among multiple parties to make it work. And this is why desktop Linux has never been successful. Everyone tries to do it as a goddamn <laughs> <it> island. <laughs> I was waiting for it. All right, Neil, hold it there. We're going to uh, continue on. I think uh, we'll pick it up in the post show, though. Uh, and, you know, we were going to look at our home folders today, but I feel like we could save that for next yeah, week. Yeah, that's evergreen. Yeah, it is. Um, in fact, maybe, why don't we do this? Go look at your own home folder. Do an LSLA and just take a look at it. I want you to look at how many dot folders are in there versus the dot config directory. Because that's where they're supposed to be, right? I mean, we'll get it. I guess we'll get into that. I but yes, you'll, you'll probably find a lot. Yeah. Some will have their own subdirectories. Maybe there'll be some weird intercasing. Yeah, like just if you've got tree, just type tree in your homeder and uh, go stare at all if, the. All if the you lines. don't have tree, install tree. Yeah, there you go. And then run tree on your home directory, and then listen to episode two hundred and ninety because we're going to be talking about this. Because Wes and I have to come clean about our home directories, and we want you to understand what we're talking about. So this will be a good uh, exercise for you at home. But I did promise some great picks, so let's do those before we get out of here. First pick this week is something that I am trying out in studio, getting ready for the big Linux Fest Northwest. Here, can I, can I tell you something? 
Don't oh, yeah, tell, I will tell a soul. Don't tell anybody else. The cone of silence. Oh, good idea. They can't hear us outside of that. No. That's perfect. So I want to make it look like we got our shit together. And I was thinking maybe we could get like a couple of media devices set up just with our content or with some music. So that way when people are hanging out at the studio, they got some stuff the to The space is to. ready to go. Yeah, but we just pretend like we've always had it. The studio is just, those are built in. Yeah, yeah it's always been here. It's like, this. we use Linux everywhere, obviously. I don't know what you're thinking about. Okay, the cone right. of silence. <clears throat> so let me tell you about Pi Music Box, something we use here in the studio. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, pretty sweet. Um, okay, maybe technically I haven't used it yet, but I'm about to. It is a Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Music player for the Raspberry Pi. In fact, I think it even supports Apple AirPlay version 1.0, and it turns a Raspberry Pi into a media device receiver with a web interface that works great on both the desktop but your mobile device as well, so guests can come over, they join your Wi-Fi, you give them the URL, and then they're up and going and they can like cue music up and they can play their own mixes and stuff like that. So it's called Pi Music Box. It does a bunch of stuff. It just does a bunch of stuff. This really seems perfect. Actually, I had some friends over and they used a different streaming service than I did. And they're oh. like, oh, we have this playlist that you should. And I was like, what? How, yeah. I'm not set up. No. This would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing happens. Um, and so you, what tends to be the case is the Chromecast becomes the um, sort of like unifier. Everybody's got Chromecast support. So it, then it's like whatever you can send to the TV and play on the TV speakers is what you got. Ugh. Not this year. This year, we're going to go We're gonna go all out. So that we'll be using Pi Music Box to deliver that. Now, um, this is pretty neat. You found this one. It's called ETA, and it's a graphical tool for monitoring progress. I mean, I don't know that I would call it graphical. Command line graphical. (laughs) They call it graphical. (laughs) I don't think the audience would define it as graphical. You're right. Uh, But it it lets you get insights into the progress of a process that you normally wouldn't get insight, like a file transfer or like how long something's taking, right? The nice part, so it's not like it's not magic. You're going to have to do a little thinking to use it, but it sets up a framework for a generic way to get an ETA with a little progress bar. So if you have some units that are changing and you have a way to get what the total size should be and a way to get the current size of whatever size might mean for your problem set on on one place versus another, it will draw you a pretty progress bar. I kind of think one of the things that it took me a little adjusting to when I switched to Linux many, many eons ago was um, returning nothing was a success. Right, yeah, right. When you when something goes perfectly, the computer tells you nothing. Nothing. And it's like, is that... Did it work? And like when it's like a big file copy and you're just waiting and waiting and And waiting. You You don't have time. And then like all you get back is the command line. You're like, um, okay. So that's where this could kind of be nice. I I could see that. So I don't, I've moved beyond. I'm past that now. (laughs) Now I just like PS like a son of a bitch. But no, I, I, I could see how ETA would be very useful. It is up on GitHub. We have a link in the show notes, linuxunplug.com slash 289. Now, I feel like we've talked about this next pick before. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I did a I did a whole site search, and I I nothing. So either we just are bad at tags. That or, could be it. We should know. let's put it in the tags this week. Uh, Net data, the open source real time performance monitoring and health monitoring application. Uh, it, 
If you don't know what net data is, then I have failed in my job as a podcaster, and I apologize to you. So we are trying to make good right now. This is so, so, so great. If you got like a VPS somewhere where you're doing a few things and want to know what it's up to, or maybe you got like a home it's also, file server. It's also great on your laptop. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do, have you used it recently? Yeah. Oh, I, it's running on my system right now. I feel like it just came up in conversation recently. Uh, yeah, it sure did in yeah. the uh, most recent episode of TechSnap. Ah. Yeah, it turns out Jim, he uses it too. Okay. There you have it. Go, go check out that new techsnap.system. 397. 397. Wes and Jim get into some really cool tools for making your uh, network a little more manageable, a little uh, a little more quality of service, if you will. Something to be proud of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so net data looks really, really good. Uh, and I, I, it is our bad if you're not familiar with it. I, I absolutely apologize because it is an open source darling, and you need to go get it if you haven't checked out net data yet. So ETA, Pi Music Box, and net data. In in the show notes, we have a link towards like a like a demo of it. It's just so cool. It's just so yeah. You're so gonna get cool. lost just playing with graphs. Yeah, you really could. I think though the cool the thing is I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my new Raspberry Pi that I got and I'm gonna set up this uh, Pi Music Box on it. I think that's gonna be. I have one later on. I'm gonna do it too. Because yeah, why yeah. Not? I'm gonna have like I I feel like I need a rack. Maybe if anybody has a recommendation, like a rack of Raspberry Pis, because I'm gonna have one Raspberry Pi doing the uh, music stuff, and then you got I want to do. Here's what I haven't told you about this yet. I want to do a dedicated Raspberry Pi for my WireGuard stuff. Oh yeah, little uh, little WireGuard VPN box. Yeah, because I got WireGuard running on my uh, workstation in my office, but I feel like now that I'm using it as much as I am using it, like it needs to be on a dedicated WireGuard device, right? So a Raspberry Pi, WireGuard server, perfect, right? I mean, we might as well set up a Pi Hole server too, just because why not? That's true. That's true. And then last but not least, this Pi Music Box. So I want like a uh, like a a four a four or so rack of Raspberry Pi devices that could do like wire management and stuff. If anybody has any recommendations, go to linuxunplugged.com slash contact or tweet me at Chris LAS and let me know what you recommend for that kind of thing. Because I could see I could see setting setting up a few. I mean I've got I've got like two or three floating around the studio not being used right they now. Just, they just accumulate. It's what happens when you're, uh, I guess, a nerd. <laughs> so might as well put them to some good use. That's right. <laughs> All right, Mr. Payne, where do people find that new TechSnap, revamped TechSnap? TechSnap.Systems. Oh, very good. Very good. Can they find you on the Twitter? At Wes Payne. Ah, ah. I'm at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. And don't forget, go check out Popey and Friends live from Malta. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out their live stream. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So go check that out. Linuxunplugged.com slash 289 for all of our links. We'd love to have you join us live. Next week, I'll be flying into a remote location and jumping on the live stream. So I would love you to make it. See you then. Next Tuesday! Unplugged, your weekly BSD talk show that's too busy getting actual work done to care about what your silly display server. My name is Alan. You know what stings about that clip is uh, that was like three years ago, and we're still figuring out the Wayland stuff. <laughs>
<laughs> and we, we've never properly gotten him back either. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we don't have anything to tell. I mean, like, no, we don't. Once Wayland is uh, finalized, I suppose. Anyways, jbtitles.com. Go uh, vote. Uh, thank you, Mumble Room. So was there, I, I thought, I think we had a pickup, but I can't remember what it was in the post show. Do you remember what it was? I said we'd pick it up in the post show. The ecosystem thing. In the ecosystem. Ecosystem. Do you remember what it was, though? Because that's a, eco, ecosystem has got to be the most generic description of what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I was talking about how the reason why Enterprise Linux is successful is because it's about partnerships and ah. people and and partnerships and certifications and all these things that feed into each other to help actually sustain it. And the reason why desktop Linux has failed is because everybody tries to approach it like an island. You know, you're saying failed. I I, I prefer to look at more as like a a slow burn. And, uh, you know, I look at it from an infinite timeline perspective (laughs) in which uh, we what we just have to wait for is the Microsoft Corporation and the Apple Corporation to fade away. And then the desktop is ours. Now that we got a little bit extra time, you know what I think we should do? Is we ought to get the audience to send us some screenshots of all of the dot folders in the root of their home directory. You know, you know what do you think? Yeah, I think that's best because you can you can have a number that describes it, which is good. Do that too. Yeah, but we need just the seeing the mess. Oh, that's yeah. Great. We want to see the mess, the number, all of it. Take a screenshot, go install that tree application if you don't have it, and then get us a screenshot of your home directory and tweet me at Chris LES or email into the show by going to linuxunplugged.com slash contact. I want to see these home directories because Wes brought a soapbox and by God, we're going to use it.